So, like, if people with clitorises, like, don't know about that their clitoris exists, or if, like, queer people don't know about gender identity or that, like, different sexual orientations are okay, um, then that, like, silences people and, like, prevents them from accessing a really, like, joyful part of themselves. And, like, I think sexuality can, like, give us a lot of, like, energy. I don't know, help us move through the world better. So preventing people to have, like, access to that is a way of controlling them. You might think that science is boring, hard to understand, or maybe you believe that scientists are hiding the truth from you about aliens or chemtrails. Well, we're here to prove that wrong. Whether you love science or you think it sucks, this is a show for you. Hello everyone, you're listening to episode 16 of Science Sucks. I'm Evie, neuroscientist, science communicator, bird enthusiast, and your host for the Science Sucks podcast. Before we proceed with today's episode, I wanted to do a little bit of housekeeping. If you're listening now, I appreciate you. Yes, thank you for listening. By engaging with the podcast, you are helping to keep it running. So if you love hearing my voice and the voice of our weekly guests in your ears each week, please, 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 give us a review and a hopefully five-star rating on your podcast app. It takes just like two minutes and it would make my day, truly. So thank you so much and now let's get back to the show. This is the first episode of June and you know what that means, it is Pride Month. So before we begin today's episode, I wanted to give you a tiny, teeny little history of Pride Month. The month of June was chosen for LGBTQ plus Pride Month to commemorate the Stonewall Riots, which took place 50 years ago in June 1969. At the time, violent police raids on gay bars were common, and in the early morning hours of June 28, 1969, the police raided the Stonewall Inn, a popular gay bar in New York City. What followed was a series of demonstrations and riots, which led to the first well-known pride parades and what was called the Gay Liberation Movement. This is a very tiny and US-centric snapshot of queer history, but it's worth mentioning where the Pride Month we celebrate today comes from. This month on the podcast, I wanted to highlight the voices of LGBTQ plus scientists, so I'm thrilled for you to meet our first guest, Eva. Eva is a sex researcher wrapping up her master's on sexting behavior in Canadian women. She is also a sex ed YouTuber with over 7,000 subscribers. On her channel, she talks about pleasure, masturbation, social justice, bisexuality, and sexual health in all its forms. This year, Eva hosted a workshop on kindness and casual sex at Good For Her, a sex toy shop in Toronto. Eva and I are pals and I'm so happy to have her on the podcast. Here is our interview. How did you start being interested in science? What is your journey to science? And how did you get to doing the research you are now? When I read this question, I was like, how far back do we go? <laughs> like in terms of my journey in science, I'm like, are you are you asking about the time I won a grade six science award or like? That was, that was when it started, you know? <laughs> and then grade 12, when I fell in love with biology and then also English, which was my first introduction to like gender studies. Mm-hmm. And I was like, these are my two favorite things. How can I do them together? Mm-hmm. Um, but I did my undergrad in like an interdisciplinary program. So I 
yeah. And I actually started off in biochemistry. Mm. Um, yeah. And I, in like my undergrad, I dealt with a lot of this idea that like softer sciences, like psychology or even like sociology were easier mm-hmm. and then other sciences. And like, because I was quote unquote, like smart, I should stick to harder sciences and not do softer sciences, which is crap, which is all a lie. I feel that. (laughs) It's like pressure. Like, oh, psychology is for, you know, not people who are with the best grades. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I, yeah, I took two organic chemistries. I know far too much about rocks now. (laughs) I I don't regret any of it. I don't regret any of my, like, um, harder like scientific training because um, I think it yeah gave me interdisciplinary like perspective on everything that I do which is what I still do now but part of my program was also independent projects and like that was encouraged a lot to kind of explore our own interests so I started I <laughs> I did a blog post on the history of sex research and I was like found out that it could not fit into 500 words <laughs> funnily <laughs> enough but yeah and I had a prof that does history of science encouraged me to do a project on the history of the birth control pill and that was really like I started bringing in that like biochemistry background that I was doing but also looking at all the social stuff um and all the like gender stuff and I was like this is this is what I want this is the good this is a good combination wow um yeah and I eventually did my like honors undergrad thesis on did kind of go went full social psych made it in the end yeah looking at how like the impact of undergraduate human sexuality on people's attitudes and behaviors and yeah now I'm here doing my master's on sexting wow That's so, I never, I never knew about your, like we were friends and I never knew about your uh, biochemistry background, which sounds super cool. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're studying, if you study something like the pill for a project, you have the background in chemistry and biology. Yeah. That's how I kind of convinced myself. I was like, I'm doing this because it's like about bio. Meanwhile, I was like, tell me about the feminism. Yes. <laughs> it's really cool because what you do now is very about feminism and gender and sexuality and it relates so much. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. My whole kind of thing is like, yeah, I've definitely departed from my biochemistry roots. Yeah. Um, but I'm still, yeah, using the scientific methods to learn more about people's um, sexual behaviors and, yeah, how, like, power and, like, social systems and gender stuff influences, yeah, our sexual experiences. Very cool. So how did you choose what you're studying now? Ooh, um, sexting. So... Yeah. <laughs> Um, I wanted to study sexting because I thought I, um, when I started, I didn't really, there wasn't as many people looking at sexting and kind of the intersections of like technology and sexuality. And I thought that was really interesting and new because technology has become a huge part of all of our lives. Um, yeah. yeah. And I think I, (laughs) Part of it was also, like, from my own experiences of how sexting had been helpful to me in, like, a tool of understanding and, like, dating about my sexuality. Yeah. So, 
yeah, I wanted to explore that more. Yeah, I remember what you were saying that the literature on sexting was really frustrating. <laughs> it like painted it as like universally dangerous like do not like it's I guess it's perceived as like maybe sending nudes that could be um get in the wrong hands which is dangerous but like the conversation shouldn't stop there yeah so that definitely exists basically so I don't know whether folks know the I don't know or like a way of thinking about sexuality but called like the charmed circle mm-hmm. um And it, like, talks about how there are some forms of sexuality that are privileged over other forms. Mm -hmm. So, like, sexuality that happens in, like, a monogamous heterosexual marriage that is vanilla and doesn't involve sex toys and what else? Uh, (laughs) And, yeah, cisgender and all that stuff. And able-bodied and everything. Yeah, so that kind of, so there's that kind of sexuality which is privileged and then other yeah, able-bodied, thin, etc., etc. Yeah. But yeah, so techn- so sexuality that is like not in that privileged space, um, which I would consider like sexting or anything that has to do with like sexuality and technology. Mm-hmm. I feel like researchers try to link all of that stuff to negative outcomes. Mm-hmm. Like, see, look how bad this is. Like, mm-hmm. it's yeah, and I don't know whether people do that intentionally or not, but yeah. <laughs> not about it yeah it's important to have like a holistic understanding Mm -hmm. yeah yeah and I think just like I feel like like youth young people have different perspectives on sexuality Mm -hmm. um and like sexting too since like we grew up with it more I don't know yeah (laughs) that's really cool it's good it's good that it's still unknown so more researchers can explore it and understand it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I don't want to drag all of academia. All of the <laughs> There's lots of great research on sexting, too. Yes. Um, yeah, my friend Erin did her dissertation on how women view sexting to be, like, sexual subjects mm-hmm. um, in, like, communicating our desires and stuff, which is amazing. Cool. Thing in my, one of my favorite studies ever. That's amazing, Yeah. Eva mentioned the charmed circle. The diagram she's describing is a circle with a smaller circle within it. The diagram is sliced like a pizza, so each slice has an inner and an outer part. The inner part of the circle refers to attitudes, beliefs, and practices related to sex that are considered, in quotes, good and normal in the dominant culture. It's the most quote-unquote acceptable forms of sex, including monogamous sex between two straight people who are married to each other. Sex is had at home, it's vanilla, it's without the use of sex toys or watching porn. The outer circle has sex that is even implicitly seen as quote-unquote bad or unnatural, such as queer sex, group sex, polyamory, sex that involves toys or is done for money, and so on. This is a helpful way to understand society's attitudes towards sex and how it privileges certain acts or attitudes over others. Eva mentioned that things like sexting and combining sex with technology is also seen as quote-unquote unusual or outside the norm. So let's get back to Eva. You also have, on top of your research, you have a YouTube channel and social media platforms like Instagram and Twitter where you talk about sex ed. So tell us a bit more about how you started that and kind of the opportunities that it's brought you. I started my YouTube channel going into my fourth year, my last year of undergrad, I think. Um, And a big part of it was I was learning all of these things 
in classes and independent projects. And I kind of figured that it would be more helpful than like telling each individual friend all of these things um, to just like make a YouTube channel and share it. Um, YouTube sex ed also like raised me and I learned so much from sex educators like uh, like sex explanations that yeah it felt kind of made sense for me to have YouTube as my platform. I've done a done a workshop um, at a sex toy store in Toronto called Good For Her. It was fun to see the people come to my workshop and be like, hey, let's talk about research. Talk about this is an evidence-based strategy for your online dating. And you're like, this is for me to improve my love life and my sex life. I didn't come for the science, but they got the science anyway. Exactly. Here is why scientifically Hufflepuffs make better capital partners. I'm also helped to write and am one of the hosts of a web series which is coming out soon maybe maybe next month (laughs) that's so exciting yeah i remember you were like i have to keep this a secret and then it's launched that's so exciting um but yeah so that's that's kind of different from like the sex ed that i usually do Mm -hmm. um this is for kids 9 to 12 but it's so exciting so so exciting to be talking about like bodies and um like gender and sexual orientation and yeah all this stuff with kids yeah yeah so very it's gonna have to come out too that's so amazing what, what was it called it's called sex ed school cool mm-hmm. so exciting because yeah. a lot of kids don't get that in their schools like no sex no. ed at all or especially like queer inclusive sex ed <laughs> Right? Yeah. And especially that young, too. Like, 9 to 12 is absolutely, like, kids can absolutely be getting sex ed, but it really, really doesn't exist. Yeah. I feel like that's when puberty starts and people start having feelings and being like, what does this mean? So if they had support and help understanding it, that would be good. Exactly. Yeah, it was super, super awesome. We had some drag queens come in. Um, One of the drag queens is trans, and, like, he talked about gender and like they talked about queerness and like I almost cried like having right like having them talk so openly and having the kids be so receptive um yeah yeah. (laughs) that's so exciting and you were working with kids on set too right yeah it wasn't just like like YouTube where you just record the education part there's actually kids involved yeah yeah it's true I came out I came out to the kids Um, during one of the segments, right? Uh, Ah. I came out to the kids during one of the, during like our little intro for the sexual orientation episode. Mm -hmm. And we were like pretending to look at a magazine and we were like talking about like celebrity crushes because that's how I remember my sexuality at 10 years old. Yeah. (laughs) Celebrity. But yeah, I was like, dang, like Lauren Harecki and Tom Holland are both so cute. Um, and, and Sean Mendez. And I was, ex- I don't, I was expecting the kids to react in some way. Cause I like just came out to them, yeah. but instead like somebody's hand sh- shoots up and they're like, I don't, I don't want to interrupt, but like Sean Mendez is so cute. And we had this whole moment talking <laughs> about Sean Mendez and I'm like, wow. <laughs> That's what uh, little kids, how little kids could experience crushes. It's like, who cares? Like, I like this person too. <laughs> Exactly. I'm. Sh- I usually ask uh, each kind of scientist who comes on the show, like, what myths and misconceptions do you have about your field? And I'm sure there are many <laughs> about the field of sexuality. Oh man, I feel like I'm like 
I feel like I'm like pretty deep into it that I'm like, I don't know what the myths are. Yeah. Um, maybe just that like, if people, I feel, a lot of people don't know that sex research exists mm-hmm. or like is a real thing that you can do real science about. Yeah. <laughs> like you can do like survey stuff, which is what I do. You can do, oh my gosh. Um, like sexual physiology stuff and like measure people's blood flow around their genitals and like mm-hmm. learn about sexual arousal. That's really cool and wild. Yeah. Um, yeah. I feel like people keep it in their private lives and they're like, that's that's not a thing that can be done mm-hmm. as as a career and be studied professionally. But again Exactly. Yeah, there are yeah, there are people that like know real science stuff about about sex. Yeah. And yeah. like oh, Dr. Nicole Prouse in LA doing research on orgasm with like EEGs and stuff like that's so cool I feel like you're a lot of what you do on YouTube is to kind of expand the definition of sex I think people's definitions are really limited to like Mm -hmm. what you said like straight people and um you know certain acts and not others and that masturbation Mm -hmm. isn't like an important part or doesn't you know is separate from sex, but it can be related. Um, so I think you're doing a really cool job of expanding the definition of what people think about sex too. Yeah. Yeah. And I did. Yeah. It was interesting. Like I did a sex therapy training course a little bit ago. I'm not a sex therapist. (laughs) Disclaimer. (laughs) Anything, but it was definitely interesting to see how like the definition of sex messes with people and makes like, and relates to sex therapy. So, yeah, that's really cool. Reminded me that that expanding people's definition of sex can really help their mental health and like how they navigate their sex life. When sex is like so expansive and like our bodies and what we like and oh, so many things change over time. If you have like sex needs to be one thing and then it's not that thing, that can be really earth shattering and distressing when it doesn't necessarily need to be. I added this kind of question to talk about sexuality specifically. So a lot of people aren't comfortable uh, talking about their about sex or sexuality with their, mm-hmm. whether it's friends or partners or online, as you do. Um, mm-hmm. So why do you think people um, are hesitant to talk about it? And how can we normalize discussions about sex, for example, with partners or friends? Yeah. Oh. Um, so in terms of why people are uncomfortable talking about sex... Um, I think lack of education is a big one. Um, so, uh, I'm like holding myself back from going on like a huge rant about how, uh, the hetero patriarchy. Yeah. Like- <laughs> I was just going to say the patriarchy. <laughs> um, yeah, the people in power are dedicated to marginalize people not having education and knowledge about their own body and sexuality as a way of oppressing them. Yep. <laughs> We're getting deep here. It's so true. <laughs> no, no old bar. <laughs> oh, there's a truck going by. Um, but yeah, so like if people with clitorises like don't know about that their clitoris exists or if like queer people don't know about gender identity or that, like, different sexual orientations are okay, um, then that, like, silences people and, like, prevents them from accessing a really, like, joyful part of themselves. And, like, a, I think sexuality can, like, give us a lot of, like, energy and, like, I don't know, help us move through the world 
better. So preventing people to have like access to that is a way of controlling them. And it's important that people like you talk about it so we can feel empowered to be ourselves. Yeah, that people make sure that people like Doug Ford don't get into power anymore so they can get rid of sex education and that like, yeah, conservatives creating abortion things. Yep. Um, but yeah. It's important yeah. to have education. Yeah. <laughs> Many of you have probably heard about the abortion bans happening across the United States right now. But if you're outside the U.S., you may not have heard of what's happening with sex ed here in Ontario. In 2015, the Liberal government of Ontario announced a new sex ed curriculum. This curriculum replaced the previous 1998 curriculum. 19. 98. That means in the 2000s and 2010s when I went to school, I was being taught a curriculum that had at that point been outdated by 10 to 20 years. It was nearly as old as I was. In 2018, the newly elected conservative premier, Doug Ford, who Eva mentioned, announced his plan to scrap the updated, more inclusive curriculum and go back to the 1998 curriculum. Doug Ford warned that teachers would face consequences if they didn't follow the 1998 curriculum. However, lawyers who looked at the case said it's pretty much up to teachers to draw from the new curriculum if they want to or feel it's helpful. So sex ed in Ontario right now is kind of messy. We're relying on inclusive, accurate, consent-focused sex ed to be, in quotes, up to teachers rather than standard across the province. Let's hear what Eva has to say about why this lack of sex ed can be detrimental. Yeah, so yeah, so lack of education means that people don't really like have a framework to talk about sexuality. Yeah. And also like, yeah, the a lack of messages, like, is still a message that, like, sexuality is shameful. Yes. And then we got to have to turn to the media. The media's getting better. Yeah. I'm very excited to see Booksmart and see some, like, queer uh, sexual debut in a movie. What? Oh. Um, but, yeah, most media doesn't, Yeah doesn't represent sexuality yeah because if you don't see yourself you don't know how to talk about it yeah and like a lot of media is still like super shamey about sexuality so in terms of like normalizing sexuality in like conversations um big surprise I'm a big fan of social media um yeah so just like learning from other people on Instagram or like blogs or podcasts like hearing other people's experiences I think can be really good at helping people feel like they're not alone and feeling like maybe they can talk about this and yeah and you can always do the good like hey do you follow so and so on (laughs) um and you can get your friend to follow them and then kind of start the conversation there like whoa did you see like that cool post like what did you think about that yeah yeah that's a definitely definitely a good way to start the conversation from the outside. So you're not just like, here's the thing in my brain that I will reveal to you. <laughs> yeah, those are much higher stakes. <laughs> yeah, so it's like, here's the thing I saw. Thoughts? <laughs> exactly. Yeah, and I love, yeah, I love what's wrong with my vagina on Inst- on Instagram. Yes. For this, yeah, and my friends. Gab Alexa. I should have to like share some share some recommendations. Yeah, I can definitely link them in the show notes of the podcast. Yeah, yeah. And my friend Cameron uh, at Black Girl Manifest. Yeah, all those people are very 
yeah, I think starting really cool conversations about sexuality on Instagram, at least. Yeah, and it's never too late to learn more. So if you're like, I don't know about sex and different sexualities, but I want to learn, never too late. <laughs> Just explore. Yeah, or even like, I've been having sex for a while. I feel like I pretty much know what's going on. You can still, <laughs> there's still room to learn. True, true. I feel like if you, like, oh, I've never owned a sex toy. Why don't I try that? But how do I know? And then, like, look online. You can find lots of information. Yeah. That's really cool. So the next question I have is you are pretty open about your bisexuality online since you came out. Um, So why did you choose to share that part of you? I know you on your channel, you talk about sex and you don't really get too personal, but you do talk about your sexuality and that's a personal aspect of yourself. Um, So why did you choose to share that and how has that changed your channel or your experience as a creator? Mm Mm-hmm. Yeah, so you're right. It is interesting because I don't I don't really share a lot of personal information about myself yeah. except about yeah my bisexuality. And I I came out on my channel like a week after I came out in real life, which hey. I don't people realize. <laughs> yep. <laughs> yeah. So that like first coming out post um, was kind of a way of me like working through some of the thoughts that I was having and like working through kind of some like internalized biphobia stuff mm-hmm. and I think like when I realized how much like it was resonating with people mm-hmm. um yeah and like h- how I could kind of like build a community mm-hmm. that I wanted to keep doing it yeah. um yeah also when I saw like the real lack of like queer sex ed that exists out there I was like this needs to change uh, <laughs> I, I want to keep making queer sex ed content yes I will change this yes yeah yeah so yeah how has it changed my content oh my content is incredibly gay now (laughs) you're like let's talk about sex acts that are specific to queer folks and again Um, and again yeah and I I think too that like people that aren't queer can learn a lot from queer sexuality um and it can make their life better Mm -hmm. so I try and make my content like accessible to anybody kind of in that way too like I my most recent video is about grinding which the definition is frustrating but like kind of like dry humping kind of like scissoring um and even though people when people think scissoring they immediately think like queer sexuality literally anybody with anybody can grind on another person yeah um so while it is like queer specific in some ways it's also like very inclusive of anybody yeah that's so true I feel like I thought about this a lot how when with straight people's sexualities there's like scripts that are conventional to be followed Mm -hmm. so there maybe needs to be like less thought initially like this is what Mm -hmm. happens we we both know that um but then that can like go awry or like people only do this that I don't know um so I feel like with sexuality there's a lot of figuring out and wondering and worrying and then finding what you like so that exploration is really important I think yes absolutely yeah I feel like that's a really amazing thing about queer sex is that there is less prescriptive scripts so we kind of have to be a little bit more like intentional about okay like what kind of sex do I actually want to have yeah and then create that yeah and I think things like sex toys are using sex toys is way more common for queer sex and like non-penetrative ways of having sex are way more common Mm -hmm. um I'm trying to bring that 
bring that to the <laughs> to the cis straight folks. <laughs> yes. Why not try it? Exactly. That's really cool. Yeah, I'm very. It's wonderful to see that you you are you have come out and you're talking about content that you're really passionate about. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and this is a kind of a cool question so what's your favorite part of the work you do um favorite part about the work that I do oh it's so it's so fun I love having conversations with people about sexuality um yeah I love talking advisor at coffee shops about sex and seeing people around us be like what did you <laughs> say like, sex yep. <laughs> That's so talking funny. about sexting, ten a.m. coffee shop. Um, <laughs> yeah, but I love I love having conversations with people and like being a safe space for people. Like if they like kind of are just starting to talk about sexuality, I can try to be like a beacon of permission for them to like come and talk to me about it. And like yeah, just hearing people's like mind shift on stuff. Like with sexting, when I like I've done a guest lecture on sexting and having people be like, I never thought of sexting kind of in a positive way and like how it might have like good impacts on a relationship. I'm like, yes. Wow. <laughs> yeah. So I really love, I really love having those conversations, whether that's like on YouTube or with my advisor or at conferences or with friends. Amazing. That is yeah. wonderful. <laughs> You're really changing minds. Oh. <laughs> yeah. And what are some of the challenges of your job? Oh boy. Um, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> could be like um, research or your YouTube channel. In terms of research, it's really tough to get funding. Um, yeah, fun getting funding for like sex research is, I think, right now pretty difficult. Um, and it's hard, especially like looking if I want to research like queer folks' sexuality, um, especially like queer people with vulvas having sex with other queer people with vulvas a lot of like sex research funding is around like interventions and like how can we decrease stis and um all that type of stuff yeah so yeah like yeah this type of sex has like less risk of stis so it's kind of like we don't need to research it and i'm like what but Ma. <laughs> I'm, but literally nobody that I talk to uses dental dams. Like, they're, they're <laughs> here. Some listeners are like, dental dams? What are those? I'll put it on my channel if you want to check it out. <laughs> oh, my um, goodness. Yeah, like, preventing STIs is important, but not the single only thing that should be studied. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Yeah, and I have big dreams of, um, of being a masturbation researcher. And because masturbation is outside the charm circle, it's not partnered sex, um, it's still really hard to fund, even though it's the most common sexual behavior with the highest rate of orgasms and the lowest risk of STI transmission. Yep. (laughs) (laughs) That's so true. Yeah, that's definitely definitely a barrier. Yeah, that's really cool. It's important that people... Like, people understand the challenges and are able to uh, maybe research them if they want to. Yeah, yeah. And then in terms of, like, YouTube, it's oh so fun. Yeah. I make no money off my YouTube because all of my videos are demonetized because they're about sex. They're even more so demonetized because they're about queer sex. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, and I'm, like, constantly afraid that my Instagram account is going to get deleted because it's about sex. Mm-hmm. Yeah, if people want to learn more about that, you can learn more about 
SESTA FOSTA. Um, my friend uh, at Feisty Fox Films, uh, check that out. They have a really good rundown on that and how, like, policies and stuff influence sex ed and also sex workers. Yep. Make me scared of that. My stuff's going to go away at any point. Yep. It's interesting that the, the algorithm does not see whether it's educational or, like, no. video of actual sex happening, which is, like, not the case. <laughs> yeah. And it def- it's definitely a lot of, um, like... Yeah, like, it's definitely, like, misogynistic and, like, transphobic and, like, homophobic, like, roots. I don't know. Like, a lot of, like, gay male content, like, can still exist on YouTube or on Instagram. But, like, lesbian hashtags get taken down, so. Yeah. (laughs) Yep. It's the patriarchy. Yep. (laughs) The overarching, overarching everything. I'm so sorry. Come on your podcast and then just <laughs> rage out. <laughs> it's important. I think about this a lot and I just get like angry in myself, but <laughs> it's important to talk about it. <laughs> yeah. This is when people are like, science is not political. Science mm-hmm. doesn't have to do with feminism. It's like, it mm-hmm. does. It really does. <laughs> yeah. 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 Do you have any advice for young, aspiring scientists or perhaps if someone's interested in sexuality, um, mm-hmm. interested in researching that? Yeah. So, I mean, so my first thing is to tell you what I wish I told myself. Um, and that is like psychology and softer sciences are not like worse, (laughs) um, than other like harder sciences. And if you want to do that, do it. Cause there's so much exciting research that needs to happen. Um, yeah. Also in terms of like sex research, there's really not like one path to become a sex researcher like there's not like you can't there's not like a sex sexuality like program there aren't very many sexuality programs that you can go into so you can have to find your way like in like a psychology department or like sociology or social work or like really because sex research is so interdisciplinary you can kind of go whatever path you want and make it about sex yeah (laughs) That's so true. So just find your own way. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And for our last question, where can people find you with your social media and any upcoming projects they should look out for? Yeah. Um, so I am, my YouTube channel is called What's My Body Doing? Um, that's also my Instagram. My Twitter is What's My Body Doing? So you just like be Joey from Friends and find me on Twitter. <laughs> And then in terms of, like, projects coming up, oh, my gosh, you can look out for Sex Ed School. Yay! We have, yes, we have Instagram and Twitter under, I think it's just called Sex Ed School, and that should be, (laughs) it'll be dropping soon. Yeah, yeah, I'm also going to be at the Story Collider in August. Really? Yay! (laughs) Yeah, telling the story of I, honest to goodness, telling the story of my journey to my first orgasm and also how I lost my virginity. So that's fine. This is fine. <laughs> um, and yeah, you know, it also relates to sex research. Um, but yeah, I, I promise they're pretty fun stories. So. Yes. <laughs> Exciting. Um, yeah, I think that's August eighth. Let me just check. Cool. Yeah, and that's in Toronto. Yay! 
Yeah, about eight. I love Story Collider. That's so exciting. Yeah. Awesome. So yeah, people can find you on all your social media, follow your YouTube channel, get really curious about sex. Yeah. Yes. Awesome. So thank you so much for being on my show. Thank you so much for having me. That's it for today's interview. You can follow Eva on YouTube and Insta at What's My Body Doing and on Twitter at What's My Body Doing. No G. You can also support Eva not just with your views, but with your dollars on her Patreon. So check out patreon.com slash what's my body doing for behind the scenes footage, exclusive polls to help her pick video topics, as well as personalized feedback to your questions and Google chats and Skype hangouts. So go, go support Eva and all the great work she does. Keep updated with the upcoming launch of Sex Ed School by following their Twitter and Instagram, both at Sex Ed School. Eva shared a bunch of sex ed recommendations that I've dropped in the show notes below, so check them out. And follow the podcast at Pod on Twitter. Let us know what you think of the show. And thanks for tuning in, y'all. Remember to learn, grow, and be curious. And happy pride.